0: I assume you know who we are.
1: Your elder, the Apache. Woo! Hey!
0: <laughs> but were if you heard of us, you probably heard we ain't in the prisoner-taking business. We in the killing Nazi business. And cousin businesses are booming. <laughs> oh, yeah. That leaves two ways we can play this out. Either kill you or let you go. Up the road a piece, there's an orchard. Besides you, we know there's another crowd patrol fucking around here somewhere. If that patrol were to have any crack shots, that orchard would be a goddamn sniper's delight. So if you ever want to eat a sauerkraut sandwich again, you got to show me on this here map where they are. You got to tell me how many they are, and you got to tell me what kind of artillery they're carrying with them.
1: They can't expect me to divulge information that would put German lives in danger.
0: Well, now, Warner, that's where you're wrong, because that's exactly what I expect. I need to know about Germans hiding in trees. And you need to tell me. And you need to tell me right now. I respectfully refuse, sir. <laughs> Actually, we're all tickled to hear you say that. Quite frankly, watching Donnie beat Nazis to death is as close we ever get to going to the movies. Donnie! Yeah! Gosh, a German here wants to die for the country. Oblige him.
2: trilogy in theory my name is web and this is my co-host mike and we wrap up our trilogy with the lovely inglorious bastards uh, a a film that i actually did get to see in theaters because it's semi-recent i saw it actually i think opening day i may have cut work to go see it friday yeah friday morning like a 10 a.m showing where there's nobody else there i called up my best buddy i was like hey man Let's go see *Glorious Bastard*. like, yes, do it. And that's exactly what we did. It, it, I, and I was glad. It may have been my first Tarantino film in the theaters. What about yourself? Because I, I didn't watch, I don't think I watched Kill Bill in theaters. I caught it after the fact. What, what were you doing? I know, period? I know. I found the violence in the first Kill Bill to be a bit much at the time. Like, I watched Pulp Fiction real early as a kid, as I mentioned last week. Mm. And then all of a sudden, I was like, boy, that was a lot. Uh, I watched the uh, the DVD uh, Kill Bill, and I was like, "That's that's a bit much for me." Uh, now,
1: it, you know, it, it's an afterthought. So, Death Proof, are you counting that? Did you miss that one as well? The Grindhouse experience? I absolutely missed. I mean, look at the box office numbers. Clearly,
2: I didn't see it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Given their numbers, I would have noticed if Webb <laughs> added his eight dollar ticket <laughs> to the total revenue. Uh, yeah, I actually, I'm I'm the um. Not total opposite of you, but every time I rewatch this one, I lament that from Pulp fiction on, which I also saw way too young, uh I'm a bit older than you, so I was taken to the theater by my mother at the age of twelve to go see it nice um and she insisted that I see it. she's like, you this is gonna blow your hair back uh you're you know you're a movie guy." And she she covered my eyes during the gimp sequence, which <laughs> actually just made it worse because then, then I'm just operating off of what I'm hearing, <laughs> which is I think is worse than what what you actually see. Um, <clears throat> But uh, from that point on, uh, I have a memory of seeing <clears throat> on Christmas Day, Jackie Brown opening day <gasps> for that with my dad. <gasps> that was the, he took just me and him on Christmas So, jealous. theater. Uh, great way to see it. Uh, Kill Bill, I'm seeing them uh, midnight showings, and you know, when they used to do those type of things. Uh, and uh, Grindhouse, maybe not midnight, but I remember seeing it opening weekend with a big group of people. Bastards is the one, the only one I didn't see opening weekend. And it's because the. Um, person i was dating at the time i think they had to work or something and then something else came up and it's delayed and did i hold that against them yes i still do <laughs> to this day like <laughs> that's not the reason <laughs> we're no longer together but every time i start this movie why i don't know why that would affect my enjoyment of it now knowing that i didn't see it the earliest possible time but it still does i feel like i i did some harm to, to qt here But this is um, one – the only thing I remember Punt's release was a little bit of pushback because I think it's from the Tarantino kind of bros that the – do you remember the trailer is just the Brad Pitt speech about all the mischief and mayhem they're going to cause to the Nazis uh, intercut with all the violence and the shooting sequences? I remember there being a little bit of pushback because some of my friends saw it and I'm seeing some online reaction uh, saying, eh, it's not like – as badass as we thought it was going to be. And there's not as much action and all, you know, all trailers misleading. And so I was like, kind of like, huh. But the opposite way, I'm like, Oh, so it's probably a lot better than what the trailer. Yeah. You know, the, the, the thing I saw with that teaser was like, yeah, it's a cool teaser, but is it just going to be the, uh, the final car chase of death proof for two plus hours? Like, cause that, that could be great. But what we actually got was, you know, we talked a little bit about Get Shorty last week being kind of meta. This is very meta as far as Tarantino's look at how uh, films and real life interact, and his his own you know personal movie geek I think fantasy of uh, movies being to being able to have the power to overtake reality uh, in his particular fashion. So uh, I think it's safe to say this is probably my favorite Tarantino movie. It's the one I go back to the most. I think Pulp Fiction will always have that place in my heart because of my mom taking me to see, uh, I guess, my first man-on-man rape sequence, <laughs> <laughs> or at least hear it. <laughs> but this is the one that I watch the most now, or I rewatch the most. So, what what about yourself? You know,
2: I think it's fair to say that Tarantino will never make a film better than Pulp Fiction because, just in terms of its construction its innovation and its influence since that time right you know it's kind of cool that we got to live in a time where we saw one of those like seminal films like once in a generation type films
1: yeah it's like living in a time with uh tom brady playing quarterback right (laughs) web
2: (laughs) unfortunately yes (laughs) it is very very frustrating (laughs) with qt though in glory (laughs) Yes, inglorious is I would say it, it quite possibly might be his next best, however, I have a real hard on for the hateful eight in a big way that for me, and again, I love the bottle episode concept so much, and that's you like the staginess of it yes, though. I do, and it's funny because he uses you know the the seventy millimeter <laughs> camera to essentially film in one room the whole time so i i enjoy that quite a bit realistically i'm probably going to download the hateful aid because i'm in that qt mode right now and then watch it in my downtime at work later i'm there then. with
1: you me uh after i'm done doing my you know my podcast work after i take off the hard hat and come out of the, the coal mines to produce this <laughs> riveting content for all of you ungrateful <laughs> bastards out there um uh, me, me and the wife are gonna rewatch Django, which is my least favorite of Tarantino's work, and the one that I've never actually rewatched. I only have a theatrical experience, and so we're gonna—I'm gonna give that a go because I'm just in the mood right now. My wife
2: loved Django. She had a great time watching it. We were unable to watch it in one straight sitting. I think it might have taken like three sittings to watch it. Just uh, no fault of our own. Just stuff came up, but she had a great time. It's also
1: his longest film, right? I think. Oof. Well, depending on how you view kill Bill, yeah
2: that's fair. I also uh agree with you. I think Django is his worst film it it and honestly, I think it actually works better watching it in parts because the film is very much broken up into sequences, and so is inglorious, but somehow he gets away with it in inglorious bastards. It is very much here are five different set pieces, and the story kind of comes together beautifully at the end. With Django, it's just kind of like, here's a scene, here's another scene, and here's another scene, and then there 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 is this inherent lack of cohesion for me with Django. And it very much feeds into that bro mentality, like, isn't this badass? It's really like what a 12-year-old's version of badass is. That's what Django is to me. It Hey, it has very, very haunting images because tarantino can't not create amazing content that's just the reality that's that's what it is just like tom
1: brady can't not ruin my playoffs (laughs) every year i want to uh put out there just you know for listener for continuity's sake we are recording this before the Super Bowl, so we're not speaking on the events of the Super Bowl, just on, yet again, the mere appearance of Tom Brady in his 10th Super Bowl. (laughs) I just want to get that number in there for you. (laughs) Thank
0: you, I appreciate it.
2: (laughs) Inglorious Bastard somehow manages to be a wonderful, cohesive film, and I think the reason for it is because it's not exactly what those bros wanted. The one word... That sticks out to me within Goris Bastards* is tension. Every single sequence, I guess, apart from one, and uh, it is a uh, chapter two, the actual introduction of the bastards. There is an incredible amount of tension throughout this film. And one of the things that I've heard quite often is that the first uh, chapter, uh, *Once Upon a Time in Nazi Occupied France*, is might be his like best directed work. Uh, and, and I. Can't say yes or no to it. Like I certainly can't deny it. It's really incredible, really fascinating.
1: Well, you would say that, right? Because uh, that's giving you the Hateful Eight in just one compact scene. It's it's just in a room. That's right. It's just two men. Uh, you know, the best thing I like about this film is shared to some degree with Hateful Eight, which is it's all about what's being said and unsaid between characters. Um, in this film, it's a little bit more of a plot point as far as the language barrier, uh, who can, and as dumb Americans, uh, none of us can speak any, any language other than, uh, Brad Pitt's, uh, horrific, but enjoyable Tennessee <laughs> accent that he puts on display here. My wife, uh, you know, even as to some degree a Southerner, cause Kentucky is kind of that Border, oh, and I think for the most part, the rest of the nation, we are considered the, d- the Deep South, in Kentucky, even though we're right there on the edge. Um, yeah, but you're even in a major city. You're in a major city. One of one of two <laughs> so <have> in Kentucky.
2: <laughs> but, right, but uh, yeah, there seems to be bubbles. There are bubbles, uh, you know, throughout uh, the, the country.
1: Blue. There are two two blue bubbles in this state, and I'm in one of them. Yes, I'm I'm in the Stephen King-like dome. Uh, Actually, most of us living here wish we could put a dome. (laughs) 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 But even setting all that aside as far as our location and sometimes myself being a little bit aggravated with the really coarse Southern accents that these properly trained actors who grew up in New York and... California and London attempt to put on. (laughs) Pitts is while maybe not authentic, is certainly one of the most entertaining. And I think he gets he gets the personality and the bravado right, if not the actual accent. And my my wife, I feel like she uh, you know, to go back to Purple Rose of Cairo, she wants to to leave this world (laughs) and go be with Aldo Rains every time (laughs) she she watches this. (laughs) It is Strangely fun, I think was another, maybe another criticism. I remember like, oh, Tarantino is going to take this horrific event and put it through his particular lens, making it this, making it kill Bill, you know, except for World War II. And there's a little bit of that, but the the way he saves it for me is that he makes it Shoshana's film. Ultimately, Shoshana is the hero of it and the bastards themselves uh, provide the humor. And I think that was probably maybe a little bit offensive to the the bros that wait a minute uh reigns and his 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 guys they're they're the goofballs they're the ones that other characters kind of make fun of like they i it was interesting to me that Brad Pitt in both films in the q t universe is like the biggest badass in the room. he walks in and he has a reputation of being a badass, <laughs> but he's also played goofy at moments like not to spoil Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but his biggest badass moment in that film, in the climax, he is under the influence and not at his full senses. And I really like that Tarantino does that, that he puts this movie god on screen and chips away a little bit at him and says, no, no, no. Look over here, and here's an even bigger badass, but you just don't even see him coming. And that's, that's Shoshana for me in this film, that she is waiting for her time, and then I love that she actually uses the both the physical form of film as her weapon of choice, but also as the way she delivers her message. I love it. I love that the the Revenge of the Giant Face chapter is, is glorious in title and in execution. Well, you know, if, if the Bastards and Operation Kino never even happened, it would have been
2: much more efficient because uh, well, Londa <laughs> would have no reason to suspect anything. And everybody would have been locked in the building and it would have burned down. So, Mm -hmm. really, the bastards are getting in the way of Shoshana's plan.
1: However, if you were of. uh, Because me and my wife had this conversation where, you know, she was throwing out there that, uh, you know, she's kind of lamenting that uh, Eli Roth, and unfortunately, I don't know the other actor's name that's one of the two bastards in the theater, you know, meet their demise in that sequence. And, you know, they could have. Uh, you know, like you're saying, Shoshana's is doing most of the heavy lifting for them by burning these Nazis to the ground. But if you have to go out, I can't imagine, especially someone uh, with that sort of cultural history there. There just had to be watching this film, um, this great. I think Eli Roth even said that he grew up like wanting to be in movies so he could kill Hitler so that he could, <laughs> yeah. and that he actually got to play a character riddling Hitler's face with bullets. And uh, I think it's I think it's it's. It's excessive, but it's as close to being necessary excess, I think, that Tarantino ever gets is that entire sequence. Yes,
2: and this is uh, one of the best things about the Inglorious Bastards chapter is – I guess one of the more underrated aspects of Tarantino's craftsmanship is that he's able to create excessive violence. And have you kind of cheering alongside with it. It's a rare feat to do. And even my mother, who I, actually my most recent viewing, I started watching it by myself. And uh, <laughs> my kid was uh, asleep, finally down for a nap. And I was like, all right, I'm going to put it on and watch it. And I got through like a chapter and a half. And I was like, you know what? Mom's coming over for dinner later tonight. I think she would dig this. She already likes historical films. And this is kind of a weird twist on it. And so I stopped watching, and I watched it again with her. And she was into it, hardcore. You know, the scalping scene, she's like, she was very audibly like, oh, wow. Oh. She kind of had to turn away briefly. But still, when when it was time for dinner and we had to take a break, she was like, oh, damn it. <laughs> and she quickly ate dinner to get back to the movie. <laughs> and then uh, my wife was at work, and she came back in the middle of... I think, chapter two or three, and she was like, oh, this movie's so good, and she was into it right away as well. It's weird. No matter how excessively violent Tarantino can get, he finds a way to wrap you in to his uh, his world. Uh, really, really just, damn it. Yeah, the, I, I, I want to say this is so close to Pulp Fiction as possibly his best, if not his best. You know, the, the reason I say that is simply because of influence. Like, Pulp Fiction changed the game. And Glorious Bastards probably didn't change the game, but damn, it is it is a reflection of what a, what a director Tarantino is and what he can do. Uh, now, I mean, he's never going to have issues with budget. He's never going to have issues with cast. He's going to ultimately do whatever he wants for his possible final film. I don't know what's going to happen. So, Bastards is just another great great like uh, all the way through. Just so so watchable. Uh, one of the things that I'd like to do is just quickly go through with you each of these five. Th- I feel like everything we're saying has probably already been said, and we're just fawning over this wonderful film.
1: Uh, like Falling into the uh, Chris Farley <laughs> trap of, like, you remember that part? Wasn't that yes. awesome? was <laughs> not that cool? That was awesome. <laughs> I, I just
2: uh, took quick notes as to, like, the things that I thought about in each of these uh, five chapters. In the first chapter, uh, the one thing that really stuck out to me was the pipe comparison uh, it's a great visual gag to show the dominance of Hans Landa over Monsieur Lepetit. Because he is a pretty intimidating man. Uh, he's a big uh, bearded, uh, you know, uh, fella, a very manly alpha male. And Landa is this kind of shrimpy, uh, uniformed officer. And through that wonderful dialogue, you kind of get to see the power shift, I suppose. And then it all comes to fruition with... The giant pipe versus the tiny one that Le Petit is using. What a wonderful,
1: like, and also always gets a like a a, like surprised laugh out of my wife, no matter how many times she's seen this. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) my turns my wife into the high school quarterback, wanting to put the nerd in the locker like, oh, that's the pipe he would have. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, a spiteful laugh for sure. In
2: the second chapter the violence as i mentioned uh, even though that like, you lose a little bit of the tension because chapter two is kind of the fun chapter it's the fun chapter because you're getting introduced to these wonderful characters you've got the trailer of the film right there it's a great great soliloquy i guess you would call it and i guess the tension is in the moments leading up to the violence, the buildup of the bear Jew as he entered. What? Oh my gosh. It's so theatrical and it's so cinematic. And he, and and Aldo the Apache even references it kind of in its sly way. I think it's a, I think it's a great nod that Tarantino does. He's like uh, watching the bear Jew go to town on Nazis, like the closest thing we have to go into the movies. And it's such a great <laughs> line. And the moment where he's setting him up, he's got the bat right they're up against uh the german officer's head i'm just like oh my gosh like this is going to be the most violent thing and it's not i mean it's not kill bill violent
1: but it's realistic and the crack of the bat striking his skull i think it is more effective than anything in kill bill yeah you i mean you have uma thurman in a yellow jumpsuit and the helmet and then the samurai sword yeah, you, know, you, you expect some mischief <laughs> to come about. Uh and I'm not saying that this action is not expected, but you're right. It's one of the times that it is the violence is grounded in some reality where it, it is a man taking a big stick and crushing someone's skull. Um you know, it's it's someone not fighting back. <laughs> the Nazis are probably like the only the only people you can do this to. I mean <laughs> you're right. it's it's just sad. I will say that on my rewatch in, you know, early twenty twenty one it's like, shit, we've got fucking Americans wearing Nazi shit as they, like, you know, protest their loser, uh, former president, losing yet again uh, every day. And this used to be the sort of agreed upon thing that everyone's like, a Nazi bad guy going back to Indiana Jones. It's like a Nazi. We, we, we punch them, we destroy them. That's, 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 it's all, it's all fair. And so I, I think that. I mean, I, I'm sure Tarantino, if he wanted to, he could still release this now. He could do whatever he wants. Um, but it's more of a comment on my sadness with the state of our country that these once once agreed upon principles, even with all of our horrific history of racism, sexism, all of it, to say nothing of how we treat you know the workforce, especially in the midst of a pandemic. But, yeah, Nazis used to be a thing. Captain America punches them on the cover. That's they're the bad guys. They're always the bad guys. And I do wonder
2: if if this country is still up and about in you know in a generation in, in in say half a century, could we see a film where it is about these specific times and the level of violence can be used almost as a joke, the way like Tarantino kind of uses it, and for entertainment value against some of the more despicable. You know, deplorables, as I'd like to call them, that are executing whatever <laughs> they think is their stupid plan. Now, it really does make you think. I'm I'm very <laughs> interested in in peeking in the future. There, the third chapter, German Night in Paris. Uh, once again, uh, the reuniting of Shoshana and Londa. My goodness, and it, you really don't need it. The the musical cue. That Tarantino puts when Landa comes into uh, the restaurant, the I, I don't, I can't, I can't quite. <laughs> I'm no Bismarcky. I can't quite, you know, <laughs> generate that same sound. But it is unnerving, and my mother too. when she was watching it. She's like, "Oh my god, I knew it. I knew she was the girl from the beginning." It was, it was, it was fun watching uh, the film with that kind of uh, investment. Um, golly, uh, when he orders the milk. Oh, another I I guess callback, even though it's been several years since that incident, uh, when he tells her that I had one more thing to tell you and he gets real serious. But I can't remember what Oh my god, cementing his
1: villainy. I I love I love the way Waltz plays this because with Hans Landa, I never know if he knows more than he's letting on, or if he's just allowing his reputation to plant seeds, that he knows things that he does not yet know, but he will based on your reaction. It is a, it is a delicate balance he's playing in those sequences. Cause rewatching it with my wife, we were having a discussion. I was like, is that a pointed callback? Does he like, how would he know? Like, how would he, why, why would he say milk for her? Like, is it an innocuous comment or is it a veiled threat? I mean, you get to see that play out to its conclusion of violence with Bridget von Hammersmark, when he, with the whole, the, the, the Cinderella bit basically, which I think we know is is coming. I remember some people having issue with that because it's, you know, the, the boys to a certain degree, if they go to their death, it's by choice. Like I mentioned, uh, Eli Roth uh, getting to kill Hitler before he, he goes out in a blaze of, in his case, glory. But I do think that there is something to the Hans lunda character where he – there's something like he has to deal with uh, someone traitorous in a different way than <laughs> – doesn't he have a line where he says that uh, Aldo Reigns is not – they're not operating from the same mutual respect that he yes. had anticipated. <laughs> like, right. Aldo doesn't share <laughs> the enthusiasm for the these two uh, people on different sides finally meeting these two enemies. Um, there's There's such a great <sighs> – there's great humor with the way Hans Solo comes across, but also he is he is terrifying. Legitimately a terrifying villain. Well, he is the
2: reason this film works, and and I think Tarantino has stated that if he, they did, the casting process was brutal to find the the person who would play this role because like if they don't find the right actor, the movie doesn't get made. And, and I can't imagine Tarantino
1: settling for anybody. So the, the role was written for DiCaprio, which he could play the part. But not when language is such a central, you know, bit of the the fabric of the film where we're we're supposed to accept the reality of, you know, Michael Fassbender goes to his death because the way he he holds up his fingers and orders three glasses, we have to have some basic rules and believe in that that reality of the world, uh, which is in this case is our world. And so you're having someone that actually could a European actor who has probably expected Unlike a dumb American to speak multiple languages, yeah, is necessary. But I, I totally think you know, going back to Jane Gower once upon Tom Hollywood, DiCaprio can can be very effective in a Tarantino role. Maybe not one where he's speaking multiple languages. I, on that note, though, while we have it, uh, what do you think of the possibility that you know Adam Sandler was the first choice for the Bear Jew instead of Eli Roth? no i'm sorry webb is making a face right now (laughs) someone just just farted in the trilogy (laughs) and theory recording studio and that would be adam sandler making an appearance (laughs) which would be fitting he would he would do such a thing
2: i i think it takes a great amount of craft to put adam sandler in a role that isn't a happy gilmore or a billy madison I'm not saying that Tarantino doesn't have the chops, but I just don't think I could take him seriously enough. I think Eli Roth has the bravado. Yeah, having you know, Mr. Deeds
1: roll up as the pear would <laughs> wouldn't do it for me. All right, let me. Uh, I'll, I'll raise you then, um, Simon Pegg, instead of Michael Fassbender as. Uh...
0: <laughs> no,
1: nope. no,
2: you can't. Don't
1: see like, him as Archie.
2: Like I appreciate it, but. Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't do it for me. Actually, oh, and I want to talk about that oh, that specific sequence, okay. too. Uh, in the next one, Operation Kino, the one thing that stuck out to me is the hiring of Mike Myers. That works really well. And even though he's not uh, British, it still comes across really, really well. He does a great job. Uh, it adds a weird—I don't want to say it adds humor to the role or to the proceedings, but it oddly fits. And it really makes me think about how the the—, the Producers over there at the Harry Potter movies wouldn't give Robin Williams a chance to be Hagrid when he's so obviously Hagrid. <laughs> and now Robin Williams is dead, and it's the worst.
1: And <laughs> play Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> I I think that what's something that I feel like is is genuinely great is Inglorious Bastards. It shows you uh, how delicate everything is, how it truly, you know, you get into the auteur theory and especially with a Tarantino film, uh, I think you're in safe, uh, you're in a safe space to approach it in that way. Cause it's very much from his particular worldview and his, his view on films. Uh, but it also shows, you know, if you have, uh, an Adam Sandler or you have a, a Simon Pegg, I have, I think less of a problem with Adam Sandler than I do. Simon Pegg being as, <sighs> I mean, if they have an issue in this film, if these Germans are suspicious of Michael Fassbender being friends with this beautiful actress, I mean, do they just shoot Simon Peck on sight when he's, like, sitting beside her? (laughs) (laughs) Immediately. (laughs) Immediately.
2: (laughs) Because... I'm sure Simon Pegg has great dramatic range. Sure,
1: sure. But yeah. I
2: also feel like he can't not be himself. And and himself is a charming and witty uh individual who just and that is not who uh, you know the the Fastbender character is. Uh Hickok, I think his name yep. is. Yep. R.G. Hickcock. And and we've already fawned over Revenge of the Giant face. I think it's a <laughs> I actually think it's a t- terrible title, but I understand why it's the title you think it's a I, terrible yeah, title it's great i kind of well now, now i'm feeling you know sheepish about yeah. thinking so yeah
1: why Why would you want to be bombastic when you're ending the third reich what <laughs> if not now when <laughs> web
2: <laughs> uh, one of the things that stuck out to me in this uh final chapter the the moments of humor that we get out of Landa. We really really shouldn't. Uh the ending where, where Aldo shoots uh the the officer um and Landa can't believe it. Like I bargained for that man's <laughs> life <laughs> And Aldo the Apache's like, Yeah I've been chewed out before. I ain't no different you know. Love like I shouldn't have been laughing in that moment. Maybe? I don't know. Is that what QT wanted me to do? But I found that incredibly humorous that Lando would <laughs> balk at that Aldo would go against, you know, the established parameters of his surrender. Consid- yes. His,
1: considering uh, all the things we've seen, uh, not only the villain here, but the hero do <laughs> like, and he's aware of them. Cause he even says like, you don't think that I wouldn't have interviewed all of your, your victims that you scar with the, the, the Nazi symbol on their on their skull, right on their forehead. And it's like, all right, man, you're, you know you're in a position of power there, but you with your own defense you're you're sort of previewing your demise by dealing with this this guy dealing with this moonshine running hillbilly who has now been he's been dropped into <laughs> Nazi occupied territory to bring carnage and terror to these people. You think you can control this, which may be a little bit of you know why my wife's so charmed by him that she's seeing this this hillbilly be the arbiter of justice in this historical context <laughs> i i think that uh you know when i said earlier maybe i'm in the wrong maybe uh i you know would not get to be one of the the bastards only because i'm not of a jewish descent but uh i guess our worldview differ because i feel like maybe Aldo the apache here uh maybe he would like the current state of America, because he seems quite adamant that if you espouse those views privately, he wants to know that publicly. He wants to know who the enemy is. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if he would bring the uh, the temperature of the room down, because <laughs> I think that <laughs> if <not> all. <laughs> drop him in to one of those meetings, uh, I don't know what's going to happen. But uh, it would be justified, I would say. Justified what happens. Yeah.
2: So uh, do you think, Mike that ultimately you like this movie? Are we coming to any kind of a... <laughs> Obviously, this is just uh, this is just so good. I'm, and I might, gosh, this most recent viewing, I might have to do this annually. I don't know if I do yet, but it's just one of those movies that uh, <laughs> it's kind of a feel-good romp <laughs> in the end after all that tension. Well, I'm glad we,
1: we started the month with our, our proper romance, The Purple Rose of Cairo, and we're like, oh, God, like, what happens to that poor woman? We get to, uh, you know, putting a knife to someone's forehead and we're like, you know, that I, I think that i I also forgive and kind of embrace the, the ego on display that Tarantino ends his film by having one of his characters say, this may be your, your masterpiece and <laughs> written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. I'm like, you know what? Call your shot. Yeah. there's This is why we have the story of, uh, Uh, Babe Bruce pointing (laughs) like the ball's going over there. It's going over the wall and I'll allow it this time. The movie is so good. I I think it's perfect actually. So I love this movie and I I like the, the ego on display. It's a callback to, uh, to Boogie Nights when Paul Thomas Anderson also kind of operated with that same ego that he was just going for it. And so, yeah, I, I, I love this. It's probably not an annual watch because of the content because I don't yearly need my dose of Nazis in my face, but Maybe, maybe since, you know, what we ha- see happen to them, uh, be set on fire, machine gunned in the face <laughs> and permanently scarred. <laughs> exactly. Maybe, maybe it is a good time for it.